today we're going to talk about two Pine albums by Monk Turner and Leslie Hall. We'll start with Monk Turner, which is Robert's pick. The album is called God Complex. It came out in 2016. It is 12 tracks, about 41 minutes long. He calls it bedroom pop. It is most definitely a concept album, and it is published as part of the Creative Commons project, which I expect Robert will explain. And go ahead, Robert, what do you want to say about it? Welcome to the show again. Hi there. I'm eager to talk about Monk Turner, but I first need to kind of make some disclosures, uh, kind of relating to how I found out about Monk Turner in general. Before I was uh, a real big advocate of Creative Commons music, music that could be shared. And so I would do interviews with uh, musicians around the world, actually, not just America, just asking, you know, asking five questions or six or seven questions about their music. And I would do my best to promote this mu- music. Through that, I was able to find out about Monk Turner, I think on Free Music Archive. That's where he was uh, promoting. I listened to his stuff and found out some more stuff that's on archive.org. I like all sorts of weird, weird stuff. And when you go trolling in uh, archive.org, you just find some incredibly weird stuff. And so I found lots of stuff. And basically, I found some that were sort of mainstream. And uh, I found one that was called Emergency, which was a concept album where uh, Monk Turner imagines this earthquake that hits California. And he writes a series of semi-related songs about preparing for disaster and people who are facing disaster. That's how I became really enthusiastic about Monk Turner. Uh, At that point, I interviewed him over several months uh, via email and listened to his other stuff and was just amazed at the breadth of this person. This person has done a lot of albums, and this album, the one that we're talking today, is album number 25. He's done 25 concept albums, and although it's true that some of them may be a little bit less serious than than this one, I think all the albums are, are genuine albums. First, I just want to say I've written, I've done an interview, I've done a done a review of this, and it's kind of interesting because Monk Turner has been promoting it in a very unusual ways. But first, I just want to go back and say that uh, I listened to a radio show, an interview with Monk Turner, and he, he told me, he told me, <laughs> like, like uh, he's telling me um, personally, the he told the interviewer about how he got started, and it's very interesting because. He said he uh, went to a performance of uh, The Who's Tommy, and that's how he got really enthusiastic about doing albums like that. Then it was Pink Floyd, and then when he went to college, he didn't major in music. He studied advertising and the art of doing jingles and all that, and he he was very struck by an advertising professor who talked about the idea, you have to have a big idea behind every advertising concept. And I think that he grabbed it and he said, "If I want, I like to do albums and he likes to do music and write songs. And he said, well, I like to have something with a concept like Tommy. Also, kind of another biographical detail I heard from this radio interview is that I think he was working at a club or something and he was playing with his friend's band in in high school and he would just on the fly write these horrible songs just to get people out of the door. Apparently at the 
at the end of the night for a nightclub, you just want to play like the worst songs. And he would write intentionally bad songs just to get people out, out the door. Hmm. And apparently he got a fan club for the bad songs he wrote, which is just hilarious <laughs> in my opinion. Some of his stunts was he did a whole album where he asked people – most of who were friends, but he did it on a radio show, suggest songs. And they were just very bizarre subjects for, for songs. And he would sit down for a while and come up with an album. Like one person asked him to write a song about macaroni, but, you know, talk about it in a very poetic way. Another person, uh, a DJ said, I want you to write about my nuts. And he was able to do it. And uh, he, he was able to pull it off. And it's kind of silly. I think that's what it what most of them were, but they were also very innovative and creative and they make you laugh, but they were also genuinely attempts to bring a style into a song that made you say he's not just being silly. He's, he's trying to come up with whatever would be the equivalent musically to this weird concept. Uh, he did a lot of albums. And I'm just going to list them really quickly. Emergency songs. That was about the earthquake calendar where he takes the 12 months of the year and he makes 12 songs. Uh, Love Story, which is actually, I think, his best album it's just a collection of love songs and they're just brilliant. They're just brilliant and they're, they're, they're sad. They're, they're beautiful, but they're not really a concept album. It's just sort of, I'll, I'll hear my love songs coordinates, which is about different parts of an urban setting, like different shops or different parts, kind of geographical locations in a, in a major city. He comes from uh, Los Angeles kaleidoscope, which is a wonderful idea in concept where he decides to write a song about different colors. He had to come up with lots of unusual colors that nobody's ever heard of. I've never heard of him. And he actually, by that time, we were sort of email buddies. And he said, can you review this? And I sort of did. And some of them have very, have, have just wonderful, wonderful tones and, and lyrics. Uh, my favorite is the song called Totally Blue, which I cannot get in my head. It's just so silly and you could sing it to yourself all the time. He had a collaborator named Alana Lynn, also known as Fasanoma, I think. And she's a poet who also has a great singing voice. And she and Monk Turner collaborated on emergency songs. I think they co-wrote some of the songs together. But she occasionally makes appearances in, in his works. So Kaleidoscope had a lot of things about colors. These songs are sung by different people. Monk Turner does sing. He sort of sings like a rock band, kind of heavy metal. And it was kind of humorous to hear him say this uh, in his uh, radio interview that I listened to. He said, well, you know, I kind of have a hokey voice <laughs> and it's sort of true his voice is kind of strange but interesting and can do a lot of it, uh, interesting things with it divided states he did about our political polarization just in the last month or so he's done an album called emotional baggage where he's identified 10 uh, emotions and written songs about each emotion and he's kind of releasing them one at a time one every couple weeks along with a, a spotify playlist so for example example, he and his friends have been gathering all these songs about anger or about anxiety or about awkwardness. Every time he's he's kind of experimenting with something different. 
So that's basically his background. I want to I want to stop here for just a second. We we've got a, a lot of different options here. We've got the, his his process. We've got the general differences between a novelty and a concept and a comedy album. We've got his discography, and then we've got uh, the God Complex album itself. So uh, we, okay. So why don't you, we talk? Why don't we talk about general things? Then we'll talk about God. Which Complex. you you mentioned his uh, his process. He sends out demos to his friends for feedback, and they they help him improve his songs and so and so forth. They, and talk about Creative Commons a little bit more. What is what is that all about? Well, Creative Commons is a license to share creative content. It was a, a real new thing, and it was a way to get more exposure. And in the 2000s, I mean, in, in this interview, it was funny hearing him say this. He said, well, he heard about Creative Commons at a conference, and he said, wow, that means people can listen to my music online, not thinking about paying or, you know, or about rights issues, or about piracy. And by the way, all of the songs are Creative Commons, which means you can download them all for free, more or less. I don't know how he makes his money. I have asked him that on one or two equation, uh, occasions, and I think it's he's writing for... Does he actually for, do jingles then? Yeah, if he studied advertising and can play music, is he actually making I think, commercial I think jingles? I think he has a lot of connections in the in the movie and TV industry, and he's probably good at writing things for a certain mood. Uh, he also, I'm sure, he, I'm sure he does teaching and all that, and probably you know he's good at production. He and he arranges a lot of his music, so you know he's probably good at just arranging things. I should I should mention just one other thing. Speaking of Creative Commons, his probably claim to fame, if you want to call it that, is that they had a contest to write a new song because. The happy birthday song was under copyright, and a lot of the uh, law professors were saying we need a new song that you know everyone can sh- can use. They don't need to get a license for. And about a hundred people submitted their own song. He and I think Alana Lynn together wrote the song. Maybe I'm mistaken. And they won first prize, and it was shared, and it was on radio shows and all that. But uh, and it's good. It's not you know it's not it's not amazing or anything. But I I enjoy it. And since then, the happy birthday song has gone to the public domain. A lot of lawyers prove that it shouldn't have been under copyright that long. So I guess we don't think about it anymore. But he's been doing a lot of songwriting and working in songwriting groups and participating in contests like this. Mm-hmm. So a lot of bands out there nowadays using technology are able to you know, record their instrument parts from remote locations and add vocals to a track and that kind of thing. But this is more than just that. This is uh, like a feedback form almost where, you know, it goes through, do his songs go through different versions? Have you told him to change the bridge on this song or make the chorus shorter or longer or anything? Or Well, probably you interacted? the most. Yeah, we, we've inter- like I said, we don't interact that much. But, you know, I wrote a long interview, wrote a long piece. And then he, well, and he, t- he talked about his style, about how he shares rough drafts, which is usually him singing demos. And he'll just send it via email and he'll have an, a, a Google form survey or something like that. I think I participated in two of those. And, you know, I'm not a music person and I think he gets a, a variety of feedback. However, I, I will say, I think I gave feedback on God Complex about changing a lyric, you know, very minor, minor thing. And I think he adopted it, but I don't even remember what it is. So I'm going to mm-hmm. claim credit. I don't necessarily like that because as I, as I write fiction, I don't compose by committee. That just right. seems so antithetical to me. You end up with a camel when you want a horse, right? Yeah. And I mean, I guess music is a more collaborative activity. And, and actually, you could you even talk about writing, you know, 
TV writing is sort of collaborative in a way, uh, movie writing. So I guess it's not that far out in left field. But he's gotten feedback and he seems to appreciate it. Maybe it's just sort of like he has the melodies, he has the idea, and then it's hearing what people think. And that kind of he, he's kind of like a, an antenna that detects where people want him to go. And I don't I don't think that's healthy overall, but uh, that's the way he does it. And it's been very interesting for God Complex. Now, one thing I, interesting that, that I should mention, we're going to talk about God Complex and more, but he made all these videos that are about the making of God Complex. A lot of artists, you know, not just in music, but, you know, even in fiction writing, but in movies, they kind of reveal their process. They kind of show you behind the scenes. And, you know, at the same time he released this album, he released tongue-in-cheek five-minute videos about the making of each individual song. And they're very funny. They're very brilliant and hilarious. And for example, he mentioned that his last the last song, he was very proud of it. Nobody liked. Everyone said bad things about it. And he was just sort of like, uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> But, uh, you know, I, I suspect that it's just he's just looking for what people react to. And you need to have a sense of that in any artistic field. In fiction writing, you sort of internalize it more. But I think in music, you have to know what the audience wants because you're performing more. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, yeah. I think getting a reaction is, is nice. Uh, music response, like the song by Chemical Brothers comes to mind. I think this is rather unique. Maybe it's done, and I mean, I'm sure it's done for the, you know, the superstars, how they release at the same time videos about the making of something. I'm sorry, Mr. Turner, if you listen to it, but the YouTube videos... They're not getting a lot of hits. They're getting maybe a couple hundred if we're, if they're lucky. And they deserve to get more as well as the songs, whatever. But I don't think that's, that's driving, you know, his popularity <laughs> or is going to make it popular. But they're just delightful to watch. I think this song in particular would lend itself. If I'm sure there are many unemployed animators out there. If he finds himself a good animator and, and puts these songs. In, I, don't, I didn't see any actual music videos or live performances of them. Yeah, I think he does some studio performances, but. I mean, some some live performances, but I think he's a studio guy. He's a, he's a real, you know, genius as far as producing and arranging. And I don't think he'd want to be live, you know, except in certain cases, especially because he's not the main performer a lot of times. He's sort of like the brand, the overall brand, and he's kind of working with singers. They're giving voice to his musical ideas and you know i think it's a lot a good collaboration like i said there's a lot of singers that he just kind of calls in now in the last two albums he has mainly sung and done the uh, instrumentals himself the multi-tracking he said in fact when he was in high school he said the big light bulb that went over his head was when he realized that he didn't really need to be in a band you know in high school because he could just use multi-tracks and just do all the parts ironically he's gone from that we're thinking well i can i can be a five-person band and you know and do it myself to being well i need to get outsiders to give it a, sp- a certain color or a certain text texture, they can give their individual interpretation. And I think that it's a sign of his artistic maturity that he, he can recognize what people bring to it.
I mean, 25 albums, that's nothing to sneeze at for anybody. And quite frankly, even though these behind the scenes videos are great, I don't expect him to do that very often. In fact, it's just a it's a major time suck. I'm sure he's kind of thinking, well, maybe I should be working on something else. Mm-hmm. Just out of curiosity, can you think of any other musicians who have done these kind of making of or behind the scenes of? Uh, well, I mean, for pop stars, there's the movie Music and Lyrics, which I absolutely despise. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, couldn't name anymore there's obviously once you're a famous band there's going to be you know documentaries of people people in the studio or going on tour but i think more tour videos than in the studio videos a lot of it is about the music video you know when you're talking about the making of mm-hmm. even though you recognize that it's the musician that gives it the magic but the, the making of the videos is a lot more interesting visually to see i have this vice which is there's this russian band i just love called little big kind of compare it to Leslie Hall in a way, but one thing that they are just extremely good at doing is doing these music videos, and the music videos are great, but they do these making of videos, and they're great too, and they make me more interested, and so it's sort of like get people interested in the process, and therefore they'll be more sympathetic to your message and to your art. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure, have you heard of the podcast Song Exploder? Yeah, yeah, I've listened to one or two episodes, yeah. We need their promotion more than they need ours. But anyway, I would say that would be the, <laughs> the closest equivalent I could think of to uh, behind the scenes making of actual, actually the songs themselves, not just the videos. Yeah. Talking in generally about concept albums, it's a very easy way to be creative. And I say, you know, in a good way, uh, if you have an idea behind it, if you have some sort of unifying theme or idea, it gives you a template for how you how you do stuff. Like if, if it's a uh, album about the months about called Calendar, you can think of what is interesting from a musical perspective about July versus October versus December. We have all these emotional connotations and he can kind of incorporate our emotional reactions to those months and the same thing with kaleidoscope it's just a color so we know that it's just about a color it's a simple very abstract kind of thing sometimes it gives you an easy way to write different kinds of music but the same the most recent one emotional baggage i mean you think of an emotion and then you think of well how do i make it musical i'm sure the lyrics are very important to a lot of these things in classical music we talk of programmatic music. Programmatic music is music about closest equivalent would be soundtracks where you're thinking of music to accompany a story. Well, even like uh, like Gustav Holst, right. that's sort of a concept album. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's yeah, great example. And yeah. and in fact, in fact, a lot of the uh, planets are Greek gods, so that's sort of uh, yeah. you know a lot a lot of the musicians did that, and people can say, oh, that's kind of nice, and you know, oh, that must be uh, Venus or that must be Neptune. Uh, Neptune's all my favorite planet of of Holst. So you can paint by numbers, kind of thing. You just kind of see a a one-to-one association and that's good but on the other hand it's kind of getting away from what music is all about i mean the abstract extraction it's not merely about whether this song is happy or whether this song is december or whether this song is for colored red (laughs) it's more about the melodies and the tension and the crescendos and all that 
it's good to have a concept, but are we sacrificing individuality too much? My question, and getting a little little critical here, to apply, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the AV Club out of Chicago. They're, every year they have a feature of the least essential albums. <laughs> and a lot of them are, are your, yeah, like, why did this need to be made? And I have to say that for things like, do we need a song or every every month song? Do we need an every color song? I'm not so sure it's essential listening. And uh, what's, what I think can easily be fallen into is the trap that where if every album is a concept album, then none of the albums are concept albums. It's just a, a, a string of disconnected, no no cohesive, well, who is this artist? What do they do if, they, if they're all concept? concept albums. It's kind of like, who are you really? What is your soul? What is your essence to get essential again? South Park fan, yes or no? Yes, of course. Okay. <laughs> All right. So they have, I'm not sure if you're also a fan of Rob Schneider. And, uh, no, no, Rob, no, go on, go on. <laughs> and so the South Park does a thing where the South Park kids are in a theater. They're watching a preview for a Rob Schneider movie. And they're saying Rob Schneider is the stapler. <laughs> and uh, being a stapler is harder than it looks is the is the uh, the tagline for that. And I'm I'm worried that if you have so many different concept albums for so many different concepts, eventually you're going to get an album where let's make a song about staplers. And the question just is why. That's all I got to say. <laughs> well, uh, I think. It- if, if Mon Turner were listening to this, he would accept the challenge and say, I need to make a song about staplers and make them important. I'm sure he could do important. it. <laughs> I have no doubt he could do it, yes. <laughs> and let me just say, coming from a creative writing point of view, there are often ways to be inspired in poetry where you need something to kind of give you a structure to work with. Maybe not so much in prose, but in poetry, you know, you want to make a sonnet about Monday or Tuesday. That's very common. In the visual arts, they do that. I mean, there there's a, a movement of people who just they decide upon a kind of a concept to see Andy Warhol with the uh, the Campbell soup where he just did variations of candle soup for a while and then he left that idea and just did his own thing you know another kind of concept what Monk Turner is doing is actually in some ways harder than doing a painting of a camel soup, but in a different color than the the original one. It's a tried and true way to extend an idea and to come up with, to kind of generate ideas. I see it from another angle, which is concept albums are good in concept, <laughs> in theory. <laughs> but what happens if some of these songs are duds? You say, well, I didn't like that concept album, but I like that thing, that one thing. So basically, nobody's going to listen to the concept album except for that one song. Not to pick on his album Kaleidoscope too much, because it is very interesting for what it is. But there were a few songs which were very good, uh, one of which, like I mentioned, was totally blue. But then there are other songs which are like... 30 seconds or 45 seconds. And they're just, they're more like jingles than anything else. And they're not really songs. There's not a flow. I can't listen to Kaleidoscope and say, I understand this concept and I can see a beginning, middle, and end. If there's not that flow towards something, it's hard for me to listen to. And that's a complaint I had about a God complex, which is, I love it. I do love each individual element, but I was kind of surprised that he ended on the song that he did i would expect there to well and actually yeah the the greatest example was with uh gustav holds the planets he ended on neptune which is 
just my favorite track of all time. I mean, he started, I forget what he starts out with is Mars or Mercury. I, I don't I remember which one, but Neptune is this really strange, otherworldly, ethereal thing. In fact, there's a detail in Neptune where there's a choir singing like in the last 30 seconds or one minute of a song, and they're specifically supposed to be singing off stage, like very distant. <laughs> and that was in the stage direction uh, for the musical composition. I like that going off into the sunset thing. And a lot of these concept albums don't do that. They're just, well, okay, I've done that color and I'm now going to do this color and now I'm going to do that color. And okay, yeah, it's very interesting and it may be a good way to generate ideas, but there's no overall sequence. And, you know, when I listened to Pink Floyd's Wish You Were Here, I did have a sense that, you know, there was a beginning and middle and end. And even Sergeant Pepper had that because Sergeant Pepper ended on A Day in the Life. And that, you know, you can't get more final than that. <laughs> Abbey Road did that, I think, but go ahead. To be an album, there needs to be some kind of either not necessarily lyrical, but some kind of connection between the songs other than just this is they're all about gods. But here are so many different styles of music that's going to give you whiplash or something, give your ears uh, too many different kinds of stimulus and it just feels jagged and uh, uh, not cohesive. That's uh, not something you want on an album. Yeah, and Emergency Songs did do that because the first few songs were sort of like random dialogue or random people talking or singing about things. And then you had this one massively dramatic thing, which I suppose is actually the emergency, <laughs> the the uh, the earthquake. And then it sort of peters out. And then the last one is probably more slow, more sad. It sort of fit as a finish. Now that said, you know, here we are. We're people who listen, love music and we're fans. And we can say, well, music should do this and should do that. And in the best of all possible worlds, it should, but it's still an achievement to come up with 12 songs and be unified in some way. I don't even think that the Beatles could make the perfect album like that. You know, in classical music, yeah, you can get away with that because you're not really dealing with, you know, messages or or lyrics or all that. (laughs) One other thing, one thing that Monk Turner is great at is doing a variety of styles. He's like a million. He can change from genres or from styles very quickly. And I think he enjoys the fact that this is going to sound like a country song or this sounds like a over-the-top heavy metal song. I enjoy that. He has different registers he can compose music for. To contrast with uh, the next person we'll sing, Leslie Hall, there's not too many registers that she sings from. And... I'm not saying that's, I mean, it's sort of bad, but I'm not saying that that is, you know, a flaw. But I think that that's one thing that Monk Turner does terrific is that he can change the style. He can adapt any subject to a style. Now, whether it's artificial, whether it's imposed, you know, whether it feels like forced, you know, is another thing. But I think he's very good at that. Are you, I'm ready to talk about the rest of the uh, rest of the album. Are yeah, you, let's, what, let's hear what you think. I could start, start with Zeus. What do you think? Zeus. And of course, if you you can think, well, what do you think, what comes with Zeus? And you think of somebody who is powerful or strong, you know, just a lot of force, a lot of energy, 
And I think that that was like the you know, heavy metal. And I think that that sort of worked. I didn't love the song, but I kind of recognized, oh, that was appropriate for the personality, which raises the question is if I just heard this apart from knowing, you know, who he was supposed to be, would I have seen that quality? I, I don't really I don't really know. The next one was. Whoa, 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 uh, hold on, hold on. Go go ahead, go ahead, go let, ahead. Me, let me share my thoughts here. The song, uh, the, the nice thing about it was that it was like turning Zeus into a very self self-confident and uh, it, it was not in the style of hip-hop but he really seemed like an MC who was hyping himself up with the confidence of a god it reminded me of a guy that I mentioned uh, on the, the outline called a Harmar Superstar and we'll talk about him okay. I think also in the context of uh, of Leslie Hall in comparison and what it means to be a pop star and what it means to be a superstar and I think fame is very much a part of, of these uh, songs because they're all trying to build themselves up and to show their godliness and superiority over mere mere mortals and so on. But I think the Harmar Superstar in particular, you can look at his uh, two videos that I particularly recommend with Juliet Lewis, a song called Prisoner, and then DUI, where he's uh, imagining he's his pop stardom while he's working in a pet shop. Mm-hmm. Harmar Superstar really works. Uh, he's, he's got really great musical chops. I think I would describe him how you've described Monk Turner, as being a multifaceted great musician, uh, indie, indie rock star, also, is he Harmar Superstar? He's more on the pop and R&B kind of style. Uh, he kind of works, though, on the, st- on the level of, I don't know if you've seen the wall posters of Jason Alexander as George Costanza posing with <laughs> not very many clothes on. So kind of the stocky balding man as sex symbol. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, I, I think that it's a, it's a nice contrast with the, with the Zeus song anyway. I don't know if we'll, we'll maybe we'll talk about pop stars that don't look like pop stars more in, in, with Leslie Hall too, but I just want to make that comparison for Zeus. You know, a lot of t- we've become very visual in, ter- in how we think of songs. And I think that Leslie Hall, all of songs are very visual and they, they kind of lend themselves very well to music videos. And you could probably say the same thing about this particular album uh, with Monk Turner, to be sure. Uh, but one thing that uh, Monk Turner said on his radio interview that was really interesting is that he was trying to pick not to try to define and make a song about Zeus per se, but just find that one quality of this god, of the mythological god, uh, which might be relevant to contemporary living. For example, there was one about uh, then I got married. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And it was just about a. Uh, it was by Hera who married mm-hmm. Zeus, uh, talking about how drab her life is now that she's married. And I guess these are archetypes, and you know, archetypes relate to our current society now. But I think he's not trying to define everything about a god, that Zeus or Venus or whatever. But he's just kind of picking one aspect to it that we might recognize. Mm-hmm. No, it's uh, very relatable in a lot of cases here. So you're you're ready to go to the next one, which is uh, Apollo. Yes. <laughs> First of all, this is one of these songs with Monk Turner's quote unquote hokey voice, and so it's sort of a humorous song. And it's one of these songs that I didn't really warm up to, but I listened to it again and I like it. And it's basically kind of a medicine man kind of selling every single like 
alternate cure for things. And uh, it's a very kind of slow song. And then it's sort of like he deals with an audience. And in fact, there's a part where the an audience will make a commotion during the song. And, so, and, and also there's a tuba, which is very fun. It's almost it's it's. Not a not a not a rock song. Yeah, it's definitely oh, no. not a rock song. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh yes, he will. was kind it's of rock. Oompa. Yeah, yeah. It's an oompa song. Oompa. Yeah. <laughs> the tuba kind of helps us realize that oh, it's not to be taken too seriously. But that I kind of enjoyed for what that was. Can I comment? I I'll, I'll, I only have a co- few comments on on all these, and that's so. So this is a greatest hits album. These are all not only the greatest hits of the gods, but these are the the headliner gods. And I want to say if you went to the bother and the trouble of finding all of those obscure colors, why couldn't you go with some obscure gods? And um, <laughs> you're, 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 you're just playing the, the top 10 gods list here. I mean, for example, for example, on this song, this it'll let me heal you. That's what he's the, the chorus and so forth. I, Apollo Apollo is pigeonholed into into that when it should be his son, the obscure god, the obscure god, and I'm going to pronounce his name wrong, es, Asclepius. Okay, Asclepius yeah. <laughs> is the god of healing and medicine. He doesn't even get a mention. He doesn't get a, even get a name drop. I mean, and, uh, <laughs> Apollo's role as the god of truth and prophecy all gets shunted to the side. And if you want to do a song about healing, if you want to do about uh, you know alternative medicine, anti-vaxxing or something, connecting it to the uh, the COVID pandemic and so forth, you gotta you gotta drop uh, Asclepius in there. And uh, so for other obscure gods, there's a, a link a link to uh, to the, the most obscure gods. And of course, be, this being out of obscurity, I don't want the pop hits. I want the I want really. I want only <laughs> the most God. obscure gods. Like uh, another one that I want to bring up quickly, just is Epimetheus, which the very name itself is afterthought. <laughs> so, where are the obscure god songs? That's that's my. Well, final you know, statement. the good news is that this album is an open form, so he could create other songs like. On he can create volume two with with these sort of other other things and and I, I on the B side on the B side for sure so yeah that's a that's a really great point now I will say watching his videos about the making of it where he talks about writing the songs and he did a lot of research and he f- tried to find kind of non-obvious details about the mythologies and I appreciate that work whether it makes it a better song who knows but <laughs> the third song is Young Lovers for Every Occasion, which is Aphrodite. And you'd expect that Aphrodite would be the the most enjoyable song. He he has this wonderful singer who uh, sings, and the lyrics are just in favor of promiscuity and uh, kind of ridiculous. He made the point, actually, that making the video that, in fact, Poseidon had more liaisons with humans than Aphrodite did. Yet we don't think of Poseidon as a god of love or anything like that. But uh, mm-hmm. it was a very character driven and it was sort of like personality driven. And I, I like that. I think this one really puts Aphrodite in the role of a teenage girl with a crush on every boy in high school sort of thing. Yeah. And uh, I, 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 Aphrodite in the style of Cindy Lauper or Madonna is what, what came to mind. Some, some kind of 80s girl pop song and I will say that I, I have no love for Cindy Lauper or Madonna <laughs> that, uh, that she she singled Cindy Lauper in particular I think justified an entire generation of ditzes and uh, yeah <laughs> yeah and you know I mean it's funny Madonna I I was I kind of grew up in the Madonna generation I had admiration respect she was part of the wallpaper her song uh, from the 80s just 
don't really matter to me anymore. They just don't really seem very full. However, there's some when she was working along with DJs in the 2000s or she did this song called Frozen, which is just gorgeous. And probably, you know, it was they've done weird things with their voice and, you know, but it's a very minimalist song. So as far as the teenage girl kind of song, pleasant. It's not very pop or Beyonce-ish. It's not very histrionic. And it almost sounds, has kind of a 50s kind of love song, kind of a mm. kind of a doo-wop, doo-wop kind of thing. Mm. And that that's kind of why it sounds almost childish in, in a way, mm-hmm. which I, I think is good. The, you hear the, the 50s, next, I hear 80s, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And you're right. Madonna is sort of like that. Uh, there's that cheap, cheap dance song, which doesn't really have much lyrics and it's sort of fun. But then you listen to it years later and you say, why did I enjoy that song? Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite song of the bunch. Well, no, actually, this this is the one that I just enjoy listening to. It's not my favorite song, but I enjoy listening to Hades. It's a Wicked Life. That one is a song by a French guy just talking and not really, you know, evil or anything but just kind of talking about what his life is like and what he has to deal with. And there's this great synth rhythm to it. And I just mm. get into it. And that, that's very wonderful. The most beautiful song, I think, and this is a song that I didn't really get into at first, is the Hermes song, You Won't Go With a God. And in the video, Monk Turner talks about how at some point the Greeks had to stop believing in deities. He said, how would the gods know that the humans are not really into religion anymore or don't believe in them. And so he imagines that Hermes is sort of having this communication with maybe either a lover or some human trying to persuade her that we deserve respect, we were real. And it's a very plaintive song. The lyrics are very beautiful in that. Sometimes when you get an album, it's the slow songs that really can make or break it. And I think this is a great slow song. The Hades song, It's a Wicked Life. In your review, you compare, you do make a lot of comparisons to uh, other artists. And for for Hades, you compared him to Leonard Cohen. Ah, Um, yeah, that's right, I did. (laughs) And I I, I don't know, uh, maybe I need to listen to more Leonard Cohen. Do you remember which... uh, Oh, uh, yeah, there's a great the great song. I, don't, I can't think of it off the top of my head. You okay. know, it's one of these things that if you write too many things, you forget most of what you said. So <laughs> it's like, yeah, I, boy, that's a that's a brain insight. Maybe I wonder who wrote that. But uh, I wonder what I was thinking of when I wrote it. <laughs> okay. The reference is gone. If you remember, we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, I definitely I definitely did. One thing that Monk Turner is really good at is he can present the song and then he can kind of do instrumentals especially near the end that just sort of build the drama build the emotion and like at the end of you you won't go with a god it's sort of like hermes is lamenting that humans don't believe in gods anymore and then at the end the organ has just this lavish coda which is just superb and it just works because it's sort of like this is the magnificence of what the greek pantheon is and, and what greek culture is i guess you might say the song that just 
took me away was kind of a very boring song. It was called Strong Foundation by Athena. Stylistic departure from the rest of them, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, they're all sort of different in their own way. But uh, Well, this one just comes across as folk, I would say. None of the other ones I've yeah, described yeah, as folk songs. I, yeah, I, I was going to say maybe, James maybe Taylor, show, but... Uh, show tunes, maybe. Yeah, you know, the, some of the 70s songs, and I, I, I don't know, maybe James Taylor is the perfect comparison, but they just have a very uh, nice, mellow sound. And this, I thought, has a mellow sound. And it was kind of the message is sort of with Athena about building a foundation, being sensible and rational. It sort of fit with the God. There was one song that I listened to today, Lone Hunter, about Ar- Artemis. I, at first, I was probably made some reference into it in the article, but it didn't really strike me. But one thing it really struck me when I was listening to it again today is there's a galloping going on. There's a beat and the galloping is just very interesting. And there's that rhythm is really the only best thing about the song. And of course, it's a song about a hunter. And in, and in fact, there's a great lyric. Listen, listen to this great lyric. I'm a hunter. I'm never going to be a wife. A man only brings stress, struggle and strife. And I'd rather be stuck with Hades than tied down with a crying baby. I don't need family interrupting my life. <laughs> the irony is, and I know this detail, is that a lot of things were going on in Monk Turner's life. For one thing, his, oh, I forgot to mention this, his mother did all the artwork and it was sort of a collaboration with his mother and his father who sort of posed for the Azus because he sort of bore a resemblance to an old guy with a beard. He just got married and he, his wife was pregnant and had the baby like during the song. So references to babies, they're definitely intentional. In fact, you may not have realized this, and I didn't even realize it when I was listening to it, is that the last song, the Poseidon song, ends with a baby's cry, which is, of oh, course, yeah. his, his, his son. But <laughs> a lot of sound effects. Yeah. For the uh, yeah the Artemis song, I almost called it African percussion, too. And uh, yeah, I thought it really stood out from the other songs. If there is one piece of feedback I would give Mr. Turner is that he needs to get a real drum set or a fancier keyboard or something. I think the rhythm <laughs> is, a, is a bit of a weakness in, in okay. most of the songs. Okay. I was surprised you brought it up on the other other ones. The cymbal crashes, they sound a little a little canned. I don't have any insight into that. Maybe you're right. <laughs> Maybe you're not. Okay. And but, uh, uh, the, the Artemis song in particular about being a lone hunter, it goes well. I don't know if you're a fan. I'm going to, again, cross media here. Rick and Morty. Oh, yeah, yeah, Sensation, yeah. Uh, the episode with the hunt. Season three, oh, episode nine. I'm not there. All right, all right. Well, no spoilers then. No spoilers then. Maybe that's what he needs to do is he needs to get tied to a you know an animation show but of course you can't crank out these songs too much mm. although i mean family guy has some of the best soundtracks in fact a lot of these animation shows fox uh, media or whatever and so they can hire the best they have walter murphy who's writing all the music for family guy they got some great stuff and you know south park of course i think the south park people write their own songs yeah they've got a musical background i understand yeah no i think these the novelty songs and i think taken individually any of these ones could be a novelty song, but uh, they, they really lend themselves to visual representation, so he should take advantage of that. Yeah, there's a song called Bad Luck, uh, I don't know, Hephaestus, and it's uh, about the uh, the blacksmith who was married to Aphrodite. It really was brilliant. He makes it into a country song, a country western song, and the guy is down on his luck talking about how things aren't going his way, and that's exactly syncing up with mythology. And then they have some background cooing from the singer who sang the Aphrodite song. 
So that sort of work. That's a, a, a kind of a slow country song. And then the other song after that was Then I Got Married, which I, I mentioned before, which was kind of regret, I guess, about how my life has changed. The good thing about this concept album is that there's great opportunities for female singers as well as male singers. I mean, it's pretty obvious, depending on the, the gender of, of the uh, person there. There is a good mix in all of his concept albums of females and males, with the one ex- notable exception is that the love song album is only male love is a gendered thing you know but he's being autobiographical especially yeah and one thing that was kind of nice about the uh, videos about the making is he mentioned getting stuck on the Harris song and then he went to a rooftop pool full of beautiful people and then you kind of watch people stunning and he was able to get into the character of her uh, about missing those wonderful times and before she was married and so Maybe, you know, we're talking about characters and, you know, it's really interesting that when we talk about songs like this is that we don't really talk about characters. In the Beatles, I always love the Eleanor Rigby song, but Eleanor Rigby's not saying anything. She's not seeing things. We're just telling the story of Eleanor Rigby. We're used to Broadway shows, Hamilton, etc., My Fair Lady, etc., that there are people who are in situations and they're talking, they're singing about their situations and aria operas. And he's doing a lot of this. He's, he's trying to create personas maybe he doesn't have a play behind them but i think the way that he's doing it is imagining them as people and then what would they say if they were people you can play around with the planets by holst is purely instrumental could you imagine him doing this album purely as an instrumental thing and not with the vocals Probably it'd be very hard to pull it off. If it were keeping the themes, I, I would say, yeah, probably not. You know, maybe even if he, you know, had like lines, for example, the Beethoven's Pastoral Symphony, where there's lines describing, oh, here's where the pasture is and the sheep are grazing. Even if you had a little bit of that, it would be hard to convey these very human aspects of their story, of their dreams, etc. Last one is I've Missed the Boat by Poseidon. I enjoyed that one. It sort of goes back to the opening number. And I guess that was trying to create kind of a unity, I guess, and with the, the baby cry at the at the very end. I thought the lyrics were very good and, and very abstract. And it basically, it was about Poseidon thinking about he, the opportunities he, he's missed, the things he hasn't done. The quote is, I've missed the boat and feel so lonely. Everyone has settled down, but I don't want to give it up because the life we once hold dearly is a life I want to lead. And it feels so incomplete without a strong family. I thought that was closest to Bruno Mars. Is what I thought. <laughs> really? A lot of these, uh, I think they come from different genres and jumping around different styles of music. But I think overall, he really tries to keep it kind of poppy and have a you know, verse, chorus, verse kind of a structure. Yeah. So for, for better and worse. He's a gigantic fan of Elvis Costello. Really? And I mean, I'm not really that much into Elvis Costello, but Elvis Costello keeps things very light and very fancy free, I guess. There's a little bit of that. Monk Turner is really a guitarist. I mean, that's how he sort of got started. And, you know, he I'm sure he plays a guitar for most of these things. And for some of his albums where he sings as well, he, it's sort of like him on guitar. Really enjoyed this musically. I don't think of it as rock. I don't even know if it's pop. I think of it as 
a big modern musical opera of some sorts. But I enjoy the attention to the lyrics and I enjoy some of the stylistic flourishes. I just enjoy the concept of it. But anyway, that's my overall opinion. We've talked about individual songs and who they sound like. Who would you recommend Monk Turner to if they're fans of other other artists and bands? It's really strange because I've recommended him to more than enough people. And I have a feeling that maybe one or two listen to it. I think mm. younger people, they, it doesn't have that sound, that condensed sound of the hard beat or it's not rap and it's sort of lyric driven. I mean, I, I hate to throw into show tunes and all that, but, you know, there are some people, older audiences who like, who really do like the plays, the music for Hamilton, etc. And they will listen to them. I definitely hear a lot of Disney show tunes, for sure. That's who I would yeah. put straight at the top. And you, you like the Disney songs. Yeah. And, you know, quite frankly, you can't knock that. Those people are making a difference, and they're always going to be remembered. There are some of the albums that he's done that they sound more pop and more traditional. I'd recommend the love songs for that. He has some compilations of his kind of random country songs or folk songs. In terms of relatability, actually, the side project of Leslie Hall, which I think she does with her, her girlfriend, I think they're they're called Neon and Nude, where they're actually more acoustic. And, uh, they sing a lot of uh, highly relatable songs, so that made me think of how making the gods seem more human, and also uh, it's his autobiographical things. And also, I think, uh, really big among, as I understand, autistic students is what are called the epic rap battles of, histor- of history. Oh, yeah. Take, uh, you're familiar with you know, all the uh, Benjamin Franklin versus other founding fathers or Tesla versus Edison in a rap battle. Isn't that a really brilliant concept? I mean, when you first heard about that, it was like, wow, <laughs> that's the thing. That's great. That's great. It's a kind of thing I can understand the appeal, but the execution is just not there for me to attract, I gotta say. And so I would generally put these songs on the level of what I would expect to find on SoundCloud. And uh, there are these couple of sites I want to plug too, if you're okay with this kind of music. There's a couple of streaming services that plant trees if you listen to them. One is called streambystream.com and another is plantatreemusic.com. If you like this style, you might be able to handle those. I listened to those and I thought, well, all these songs Songs, they really need a record label. They really need a producer to bring them up to, I would say, the standards of indie rock or even commercial pop, is my, my opinion there. Well, I mean, yeah, but, you know, you listen to Bandcamp and there's just a lot, ton of ton of stuff that mm-hmm. it's intentional. They don't want to sound like the, the latest and greatest you know, rap oh, no. song. So, so some of it is an intention, uh, is kind of a, sp- a specific well, decision. Yeah. He's, he says he's bedroom pop, and I appreciate also lo-fi too. And I think uh, he's not going for the lo-fi aesthetic necessarily either. Do, uh, do you? Or? No, but, and actually, I would say some of his individual solo things are, are more like that. But uh, okay. it's, I mean, I don't really know about the quality issue or the production issue, but I think he always does try to do instrumentals that stir the emotion or create excitement. He's thinking of a lot of different sound effects, and and I appreciate that. I mean, the tuba, <laughs> for mm-hmm. example. Oh, yeah. But, love love musical variety, that's for sure. So you mentioned the, the, just now the quantity, and I, I do you think, here to put the challenge to you and maybe to him as well, is exchange with quantity versus quality. Should he focus on making a perfect song that will get him some attention? Is, is that maybe not his goal? Putting out 25 albums no music video 
videos and I would say each of the songs could use some tinkering, could use a little bit more production in my opinion. Do you yeah, think he's I hurt mean, himself by being so prolific? Yeah, sure, that's an issue he faces and I, I can't claim to you know, judge one way or another. One of the things is there's something to the value of just putting it out there. Just doing it, mm-hmm. working on it, making it as good as he can for the moment, and then kicking it out. Now, you know, that said, you know, some singers return to the same song and redo it. And sometimes a live performance can differ very drastically from the original studio version. So I could definitely see him revisiting it and re-recording it. And especially if, if he ever does play around with Disney or music videos or theater, that certainly would be an idea. I think I enjoy the fact that these are performances by specific people and with specific sound effects, with specific arrangements. I'm not really bothered by the overall production. I'm Sometimes it feels, though, that I don't know how it's compressed, but it just sometimes feels like you have to have it in full blast to be listening to it. I don't know. I don't know what that is. But and the one that sounded most beautiful was the Athena song. And that just sounded very, very pleasant to the ears to sound. And it sounded like something that I would hear on the radio. The other ones I don't, don't know if I'd ever hear it on the radio, even if they played indie music. <laughs> but <laughs> that's another that's another question. What's his single? what's his radio worthy and I don't know what your what your favorite album of his is if this is it or if it's another one my favorite album is Emergency Songs Love Story is just a great compilation of songs and they're very accessible they're great songs they're great singers and they're just fun I would say Love Story is that on and everybody would listen to and say that that's great stuff but I mean I, I don't think he, need, he needs to be accessible to everybody <laughs> but mm-hmm. oh, no he needs to I, and in fact, I can give a numerical rating for this. All right, go ahead. For, you know that I'm an easy grader. <laughs> yeah, I found that out. <laughs> so rather than give it a 10, which is probably what I would do, I would compare it in terms of my likability versus his other albums. I would say, you know, in the 75th percentile, <laughs> uh, seven or eight. I appreciate the ambition. I appreciate the effects. And I appreciate the performances, but it's not as accessible when compared to Love Story, for example. But I still love it. <laughs> With respect to the other works in his repertoire, I think that this is probably not his best, but it's certainly in the top 25% or 40%. Okay. Well, I uh, mentioned previously, you might well be his biggest fan. Do you think so, possibly? Or? Oh, no. I think he, he, he'll, he'll, he'll grow over time, but I've been his biggest fan as far as writing stuff about him. And we've we've talked about this before that you know a lot of people do interesting things in obscurity and they're happy with it for the time being and maybe Mm -hmm. over time to grow I'm not sure he's shooting for pop superstardom by any means. I think he's yeah trying to experiment with themes and, as you say, put stuff out there that maybe you can come back to and see if, if there's potential if, if he ever decided that he wanted to become. These, this album is by Monk Turner. It's funny how a lot of times we think of the singer as being the most important thing. And specifically in this one, he wrote the songs and he produced the songs, which is important, but that's not normally how we grade albums. That's how pop music works, right? That you have people who write the songs and then you hire the attractive young man or woman to sing them for you. The mercenary vocalist, right? Disney. But I was like thinking, well, Randy Newman, he performs his own songs and that's kind of his trademark. And I guess Monk Turner can perform a lot of these songs, but he recognizes that his songs are made better, made more interesting by having other talent. And Bert Bacharach used to do that. He would not be the greatest singer, but in a lot of times it would be the label who would find a singer who would be the perfect to go with the song. Okay. I'm going to be a wet blanket here. Critical and say 
that I'm not a fan. So how do we deal with this? And what do we do when we disagree? I would say that the level of production, I think, is my biggest problem. And as you mentioned, if you're not interested in the concept where the songs work as instrumentals, and I got to say, I'm not quite with it there. I think he's competent. I think he's competent, but not especially compelling or stylish with his instrumentation or song structures. Uh, there's a little bit of variety, but I, I'm not sure that anything really has connected with me here. So I think what he ends up with is a kind of a simulacra of pop songs, which are structured like a pop song and they have the pop vocalist, but I don't feel the connection. And it's funny that he has an album called Emotional Baggage writing about emotion. Like you need to, do you need to have a separate, okay, I'm going to stand aside and write some emotional songs now. I think every song should be emotional. A song that isn't emotional is is not really a song. And so <laughs> Fair enough, fair enough, yeah. <laughs> and, okay, and so his the first part one of his Emotional Baggage album, which is new, I listened to it and I, I got to say, it, musically, it reminds me of, and thematically, both lyrics and music, it reminds me a little bit of, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with outsider music in terms of uh, Daniel Johnston or J- Jandek or that kind of thing. I met Daniel Johnston, by the way. Well, very good. I, as, a, as a Texan, I would hope so. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So in contrast to Daniel Johnson, who, you know, was very famous and got a lot of attention, but really, you know, technically was not a great musician, maybe. I think, again, Monk Turner is, is very much competent. The songs where they come off strike me as above Wesley Willis with his single keyboard track, yes, but more on the level of Kids of Whitney High, which is uh, on the Ipecac label made by Mike Patton. That's not a compliment, I got to say. So I'll, I'll probably leave it at that. If you want to make a comparison, how I see the music, like he's a step up from that maybe, but still not up to something that I would choose to listen to. And so my numerical rating would be a 4.5 out of 10. Okay. And okay. Well, the only thing I'll say is that every song is different and every concept of the album is different. Maybe this minimal production varies and maybe it's not necessary. And this one, this is sort of trying to create an emotion trying to create suspense and drama sometimes it's the voice more so than the instrumentation or the loudness this is something that grows in me the more i listen to the lyrics and i think that that's Mm -hmm. one of the strongest points about all of the songs that you notice the lyrics maybe sooner than other songs other albums a lot of times when you're listening to more pop-oriented album, you don't notice lyrics. I mean, in fact, it's probably a good segue into Leslie Hall because her lyrics are just screamed. (laughs) (laughs) Top volume, yeah. yeah. No, I think there's a purpose for pop songs, too. You want to listen to make yourself happy or you want to dance. Those are kind of the two things that pop songs really do or make you sad in some cases. I, I do appreciate some of his creative ideas and concepts for songs and so forth, but I think if I'm going to name people whose clever lyrics I like most. I'm going to go with somebody like Momus or Kimya Dawson, first and foremost. I don't think these lyrics are particularly clever. They're poetic. They should be both. They they can be both. <laughs> but, okay, so we, we agree to disagree on this one, and we ready to transition? I'm ready, man. The next album, I think, to how to transition, I think something that's a, a theme between both of these albums is that being a god or being a pop star, you have to have a lot of self-confidence, and that, that really shines through both in uh, both in the songs about gods and also Leslie Hall's, you know, she is unapologetically a superstar on this album. So Super what? She, a superstar. Okay. She she, uh, she self endows herself with godlike powers, uh, such <laughs> as on on the song "Gem Sweater." Just like on the "I'll Destroy Everything" song for Monk Turner, she threatens to destroy villages. Even so, it's yeah. like powers there. 
uh, even if it's only imagined. And I don't know if you want to get in general, before we talk about the album, I mentioned a, a concept album versus a novelty album versus a comedy album. Would you yeah, care to comment boy, on that? Re- that's a really good way to segue because Weird Yankovic is a very much comedy album. Agreed. And I kind of would call her novelty, but I'd call Weird Al novelty as well. But I'm not really, you know, not trying to read significance into that. But when you're writing something, uh, the comedy, you're just trying to make a joke. I mean, obviously, you're not really caring about the musical style, although some of these songs have very sophisticated techno beats. And, you know, I was impressed by by that. And in fact, I kind of go from being impressed by her music to being horrified by it and then being impressed again. <laughs> I think you're, you're definitely onto something. The, the purpose is not only to make you laugh as a comedy album would, but she's going straight for the jugular. She wants to shock you. She wants to say, no way, she didn't just sing that or no way she couldn't really pull this song, a pop album or a pop song off. And, and she does. Uh, so we'll get to, get to her generally, I think, too. I want to say a novelty song can include something that's educational and maybe kids songs. Are you with me there? Or, yeah, yeah, sure. So it's not necessarily out to make you laugh. It's just about an unusual topic, for example. So it's like a novel idea. Whereas I think a, a concept album is really where you have, you, you can really put more of a message into it. What would you say? What do you say? Yeah, well, I mean, a novelty song is doing a song about a sweater or about arts and crafts. Those are very, very clever things. And I guess they deserve a song. I guess, you know, I'll give it credit for that. And I think it's just sort of trying to redefine what is acceptable to be musical about. When we listen to any sort of most albums, we kind of say, well, love, relationships, some sort of political protests, some Mm -hmm. sort of. F the police or <laughs> I'm in love, I'm I'm drunk, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> the usual and, suspects anyway. The theme yeah, and I mentioned before, you know, South Park and Family Guy and even The Simpsons. I mean, they have their own novelty songs and it's the choice of subject which matters a lot. Well, that's what Leslie Hall is about and that's really cool. I will mention when we get into it, I think her, some of her lyrics are a lot more interesting than I give it credit to her initially. Mm-hmm. Well, there's depth, there's depth to there. There is. Uh, <laughs> unexpectedly so in a lot of cases. I never thought I'd hear a song about varicose veins, for example. Yeah, and I think it's partly saying pop music should be about stuff other than about love or rock your body or whatever. <laughs> there's a very physical presence to this album, too, which we'll, I think, talk about what it takes to be a pop star in terms of physicality. If the purpose of pop music is to seduce somebody into dancing with you or something, I don't know, or do more than that. <laughs> She's going for the home run here, clearly. I look at both of these albums comparably in terms of production value and how much I want to listen to them. Why does Leslie Hall's album have hundreds of supporters at $10 a pop on Bandcamp while Monk Turner is, you know, has maybe two for a free download? What's the difference in their quality? Well... Why is uh, Leslie Hall so much more popular? She's a she's a viral superstar, practically. She achieved <laughs> pop stardom, which is impossible for for most people. I just want to mention this technical issue, which you may not be aware of in Bandcamp, is that when you offer things for free, you can't have any fans, so nope. it doesn't show on the Bandcamp page. So for all we know, maybe it's you know received 100 million downloads. A lot of them are name your price, though. There is a minimum on name name your price, isn't there? Uh, Talk about so here's fans. here's the deal: name your price, you will appear as a fan if. If you give right. you know a certain sum of money, but right. anything free or if you name your price for free, you will not appear. Well, Monk Turner's got a bunch of name your price ones, and I, I don't he, see a lot of. He has 
about half of them are name your price, half of them are yeah. free. And actually, I was going to send them an email and say, are you sure you want to do that? Because I actually think that name your price are easier to find on Bandcamp, which reminds me, should we be talking about Bandcamp right now? This is the transition. Yeah, yeah. No, all right. All right. Let's, so let's talk about Bandcamp. Let's hit it. Uh, I should mention, obviously, both of us are very aware of Bandcamp, but we've been stuck with this dinosaur music distribution service called eMusic. And we basically can listen to the music uh, via Bandcamp and then buy them on eMusic when it's cheaper than on Bandcamp, which it usually is. That's that's the only knock, yeah, is that sometimes the price point is a little too high on Bandcamp, especially for good stuff. I'm very skeptical about Spotify and Apple Music, etc. You have to have these curated playlists and as Spotify, you can make playlists of your own. I don't really think that yeah. you can share them, share them that you, well. YouTube also is what I use because I don't like Yeah, Spotify. YouTube. Yeah, yeah. They, they're very good things. Mm-hmm. But on Bandcamp, there's just so much and everyone's uploading there. They just don't know how to sell. Where do you go? Okay, my stuff is on Bandcamp. Okay, I'll tell my 50 friends. <laughs> What's the next step? Profit? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think actually they don't know how much they should be charging for. So name your price has pros and cons, but... I was always meaning to, to figure out how to find out about good things at Bandcamp, and it was mm-hmm. just kind of overwhelming. It was like mm-hmm. fire hydrant and Jake from the fire hose. Yeah. Yeah. But the tip is to find friends and see what is in their collections and see if they've made any annotations. You know, after buying something, have you made any annotations on your Bandcamp collection? No, I, I'm not really sure how to do that. So go, go ahead. Yeah, but basically, after you've paid for something, you have the ability to write a short note. And those are those things that appear. You well, know, you say on, what your favorite track is and you give a short review. Is that just what you mean? Yeah, that sort of thing. Oh, and okay. th- there are some people who have written substantial reviews or two lines, <laughs> two or three lines. Sure. Oh. What I've noticed is that if you are looking at other people's collections, you also see how many other people have it in, in that collection as well. And so a lot of these name your prices, they're in like 500 people's other uh, collections. And so, you know, I don't know if that's an indication of quality or that it means it's cheap. <laughs> if it's 400 or 500, I'm going to check it out just because that means it's probably cheap. <laughs> that's the way to go. We, we have like Bandcamp Daily and uh, probably there's some radio stations you can listen to, but maybe you're too young to remember this. But when I grew up way back in the 70s, albums were expensive and you had to pay like 10 to $20 for each album. And absolutely. In the 80s, we recorded them on cassette and we shared them, etc. We made uh, mixtapes and all. But you were lucky if you bought 20 albums in a given year. And nowadays, mm-hmm. I think people are used to, if we're talking about the concept of buying albums or owning individual albums, then they have to be chump change. Not $10. Maybe the music community sees that. I think what a lot of Indies do is they imitate what the major labels are doing. And the major label strategies have always been to release something at the maximum price and to lower it over time. Mm-hmm. And that's not a strategy that works for Indies. Indies need to start out with low price and maybe raise it a little bit. Or it's maybe, about exposure. Yeah, you have to hear something before you want to hear it. So. One thing that might explain why Leslie Hall has acquired an audience is that she's really hit the performance 
performance and music video pretty strong. She and her friends have made some very interesting and fun videos. I'm kind of wild. Yeah. You know, I'll throw this out for Monk Turner. I mean, he had a song about macaroni. I mean, you could you could make a video about that if you wanted to. I, yeah. mean, I don't know if you'd perform the potential's it. Potential's there. Yeah. Uh, write about your nuts. You know, he, he did it. He, he did one song. It's just a manic song called Take Your Vitamin. Take Your Vitamin. And that's the whole lyric. Well, there's a little bit of a, a lyrics, but it's just kind of like a monotonous lo-fi song. And it's very fun and zany, I guess. Mm-hmm. And Leslie Hall, she does these sort of one-note kind of songs. And that's the only kind of criticism I have is that she's different subjects, same style. Different subjects, same style. You know, mm-hmm. I don't see much variation. To say why there are millions of views on YouTube, not just being a music video where Monk Turner doesn't apparently do performances and music videos. I think it's really about being danceable. If you're going to do pop, it's you know, oh yeah, do, yeah, exactly. Do you have a beat and can you dance to it? If, it? if even if it is just one note, one style, if that's the style is dance music, it's going to get heard. It's going to make people happy, and I think that that's a real advantage. You're right. You're right. They're really catchy earworm kind of songs. Okay, I basically agree. Both Monk Turner and Leslie Hall, they have a homemade quality to them. Either through lyrical themes or the writing processes, you can really relate to the songs more so than the average pop song, I'd say, about fame and fortune and putting out another album and how hard that is. Oh, dear. Yeah, she does a song about her cats, you know, (laughs) number one cat in America. There you go. No no pants, you know, I Uh guess we can relate to that. (laughs) Uh So if uh, my point then there is if, if our next door neighbors were writing songs like like these in their basements would we know it <laughs> yeah i guess we, we well you know they i can mean keep it secret from us <laughs> she is very much into her gem sweaters whatever those are <laughs> and she apparently she, that's what her thing was that she made these things and sold them on a website uh-huh. and so you know i mean more power to her you, you should be d- diverse actually a lot of artists a lot of musicians do that they'll do visual arts or something that's totally unrelated to music and i can appreciate appreciate that. Uh, that's a very visual thing and very distinctive about wardrobe. On the other hand, dancing is about wardrobe in a way. How creatively can you dress? And to compare and contrast the two, Monk Turner has become video presence. He's doing these making of the videos where he's just playing himself and he's not, you know, kind of being real fun and silly and you know, he's a good host. He, he could be a good, good MTV host. Uh, sure, but sure. Uh, in his most recent project, he was doing like an intro and basically his album, Emotional Baggage, not, not a parody, I guess, of these uh, self-help books or the self-help whatever. And so okay. he plays this uh, crazy doctor who is offering you useless advice. He's very good at doing that. So I guess there is some sort of quality in, in making it something that you can watch and laugh at. In terms of making of videos, I think it's kind of like people don't watch the credits of movies. People Do people watch the DVD extras on their Blu-ray discs anymore? I don't, I don't even know. But I think it's, it's kind of a hard sell. Like you got to get their attention with the initial product first before they're going to want to see the making of. So maybe, you know, for the super fans that are out there, like you and his vocalists, I'm sure if you have a 20 vocalists that you can call up, I'm sure they all want to be featured and they want to see the making of videos. I don't know if he makes his videos or he asked somebody to do it but his videos are very clever they're very fun okay. to watch even if you, if you don't don't like the, the song i would i'd r- recommend you watch a couple of them you'll fall in love with the production of the song 
All right. Maybe not the song itself. Monk Turner playing himself. Leonard Bernstein played himself in doing these shows for kids uh, on TV. Well, it definitely adds to the relatability in anyway, and I think that's something that both Monk Turner and Leslie Hall really have going for themselves. Is they're average people like you and me. <laughs> Some of her lyrics are just just crazy. I just pasted this lyric. It was from a song called "Blame the Booty." On my giant trampoline, I go bounce, bounce. You fall in love with ever ounce, ounce. On my giant trampoline, I go bounce, bounce. You fall in love with ever ounce, ounce. Holler if you hear me. Holler, holler, holler. Now you holler if you fear me. Don't, yeah, don't blame me, blame my booty. Because you're such a cutie. <laughs> so it's pure pop, isn't it? I mean, getting physical with your songwriting is how you get people's attention. It's how you make people feel the music. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you, then you imagine, wow, with this glamorous pop star, it feels like they're right here physically in the room with me. I can, can totally get with that. I'd tap that, as some might even say. Before we get into the specifics of the album, just one more comparison. Would you consider either Monk Turner or Leslie Hall to be an outsider musician, or both? Monk Turner, no. Leslie Hall, probably. But she's not trying to be bad or trying to be <laughs> garage band. She's not trying to be bad on purpose. She's just taking silly subjects and making hummable songs about it. Specifically now about Leslie Hall's album Songs in the Key of Gold, which is a remix album of her other work, remixed by a guy called Titus Jones. This album came out in 2013. It has 18 tracks. You can find it on Bandcamp for $10 which is kind of pricey. Yes. So I would call this electronic rave music or possibly house music. There's no record label listed. He has, as I mentioned, millions of views on YouTube. So this is kind of breaking the rules and she's too famous, although not exactly a household name. I would. I think she's somewhat famous. I mean, she has made some TV appearances. She did that zombie video with Elvira, who was wow. a host of horror films. She was interviewed by Nardwar, which Nardwar does kind of do these underground interviews sometimes but apparently i've heard her referred to by several singers who's not maybe not in that the same vein but in a similar had vein. you heard of her before we did this episode yeah i, I definitely yeah. did oh, wow. i've definitely seen the video more so than you know thinking about the song i remember that in at least one nardwar interview she was alluded to <laughs> okay well maybe she's one of iowa's most famous pop stars shout out and to the, the iowa's one of her videos was a yo gabba gabba that cool children's show that all these rock stars want to be on. I No, I actually think she did a song, but I think that she was also in a scene with another band that you like that was on in the video, but she's a pop star personality, and it's good to contrast with uh, Weird Al Yankovic. Compare and contrast, good and bad. They're both comedy artists, for sure. Yeah, I tend to think that, of course, Weird Al Yankovic has the best producers money can buy. <laughs> you know, he, right. well, he's he's you been know, doing this for a while. He's got some experience under his belt. Yeah, maybe Maybe the better comparison would be Weirdo Yankovic in the early 80s versus uh, <laughs> Leslie Hall. Weirdo Yankovic's albums sound incredible. They're just incredibly produced. And I mean, I'm sure he's come up with the concepts. He can pay whatever the cost to get things to sound right. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Talk about a guy with a process too. I mean, he's, yeah, he's very meticulous about his every single lyric fitting just the right words. He's got ten different versions of the song depending on which word he wants to rhyme in the chorus. For example, I've seen seen it described. Interesting. I never knew that. Yeah, he crowd tests them. Once you're famous, you can put all your versions of the song before focus groups and say which one hits the hardest, right, or gets the best laughs. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> so yeah, I think if you want to compare her to Weird Al, I would again go back to Harmar Superstar. I don't know. Did you watch those videos? Yeah, I, wa- I watched both those videos. And what did you think? How performance, you- fun. It's about the dancers. The uh, singer, I guess, was okay, but <laughs> he didn't really. It was more about the fun, how fun the video was. And okay, also comedy or not? Would you say is, he, is it mainly yeah, for a laugh? Yeah, sure, sure. Okay, but kind of visual comedy. I mean, I mentioned before Little Big from Russia. And these guys, I don't know what they're drinking, but they have mastered this art of high concept of visual music videos where you just can't stop looking at these. <laughs> like, they're, and just to throw out one example, they crank them out so often. And unfortunately, their melodies are just as monotonous or <laughs> as Leslie Hall in a way. Yeah, okay. But there's one song that they did and it's called Sex Machine. And basically, there's the, the whole lyrics are Sex Machine, you are a sex machine, sex machine you are a sex machine you look at the video and it's just wonderful to and it's just hilarious to watch but there's not much to the song or the, the lyrics or it's just but it's very catchy and refined sugar processed and they, foods they they've made the video perfect the video was just extraordinary and okay. helps that two of the people who did little big were kind of video artists on their own and one of them the, the main video artist used to be a singer in the band so that that helped Mm-hmm. You have to think that Weird Yankovic, I mean, he's probably thinking of what the music video is going to look like, even though I mean, a lot of his songs were not to be performed and maybe eventually later were performed. Getting to video aesthetics, you're familiar with the Tim and Eric Awesome Show? No. No. Okay. Well, this is this is maybe more my generation millennial stuff. If you've seen the video for Body Rolls, High Kicks, um, very, very lo-fi video, a DIY aesthetic. Yeah, for, yeah. For videos. The slick production, if you want to compare versus that and the, <clears throat> the Tim and Eric aesthetic, definitely more of a Tim and Eric thing going on with Leslie Hall. Or again, again, for better and worse, depending on your what you prefer. I think Harmar Superstar is much more in the vein of living the fantasy. And I think the music production and video production are both a little bit higher caliber. But I don't know if that's what everybody likes, why I ask to compare. But the question for the lyrics, and do you think that any lyrics at all could be set to a dance beat and melody and suddenly be catchy and danceable. Does Monk Turner, to go back to him, does he just need to hire a DJ to do a dance remix album of his song? And he could be just as popular. Sing, dancing to January and, and Chartreuse and Fuchsia <laughs> on the dance floor. Is that what needs to happen? Is that just instant formula for fame? Is it, is well, it just I, like flipping a light switch? Make it danceable yeah, I, and boom, you're there. I, I did see that it said remix, but I should have gone ahead and listened to the original version in that earlier album. Would you say that was just the same, but just more so? You know, the, the remix for the songs that I did hear that were not on this album, I heard the original versions of, it's just not quite as fast-paced. Maybe I would call it more synth-pop rather than actually dance pop or rave music, EDM even in some cases. Like I, I, comparing to, I don't listen to a lot of house music, but Felix the House Cat, if you're familiar, has some nope. really uh, dance music with a good melody, good beat, and that's you know, that's it. But its purpose is for dancing. The original versions of Leslie Hall's music aren't as dancey. <laughs> that's the only difference I can say. Maybe a little yeah. bit tighter, right? They, they kind of tightened them up. You know, I kind of cringe at 
techno, bad repetitive techno, a Euro uh-huh. disco. Uh-huh. Uh, in the 90s, there was so much of that. and It was, I had it to, was a little bit more fresh in the 90s, too. It was novel and new. <laughs> it was like, wow, this is, this, is, this is really tight and danceable, and I love the beat. And now it's like, wow, people are still making this kind of music. Wow, there's, there's nothing new about this. <laughs> and let me just say, as a general aesthetic, I've learned to be more interested in things that sound kind of embarrassing or out of style. There's an appeal in that, to be sure. If you think about the things that you listen to when you were teenagers that people laugh about, like, for example, Millie Vanilli, uh, oh, the person, <laughs> that group that did that, the they, did a, yeah. they did a song. Apparently, I saw a YouTube video about how there was some sort of miscommunication going on and that the people who were behind the original original album, they were real singers. They had a real careers. They were not trying to hide anything. It was the way that it was marketed that nobody knew. Sometimes you can rediscover something in, a, in another time period and you can find interesting elements that weren't there already just i mean the obvious example is never going to give you up the rick astley gosh i would have been rick rolled (laughs) i would have been totally indifferent to that song in the 80s i wouldn't i mean i would have heard it but i would have never paid attention to it and now every time i hear it it's just delightful it made a major appearance in a apple tv show called ted lasso and it was the main part of a particular plot i'm sure you know south park or whoever they could do their own version of that you're familiar with the meme yes getting rickrolled oh yeah 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 okay just making sure (laughs) appreciating that song unironically and uh advocating for the reappreciation the re-examination the deeper examination of millie vanilli is a a lonely trail to tread well yeah and actually that's ironically versus unironically and sometimes it is unironic i mean i I guess we probably talked about the shags that (laughs) originally people were kind of ironic about it saying these people have no talent and were laughing about that but over time they have kind of a distinctive sound and well, that's, you know that's like, the outsider aesthetic too that's you know you appreciate them just for being so original and different it doesn't matter there's no there's no good or bad at that point and, and so conversely you know i grew up in the 70s that's how i got to know about pop songs but there's some songs that were number one hits or top 40 or whatever that sounded cringeworthy for several decades and now one i mean they kind of remind me of things and i enjoy that but other times I can say, well, that's not that bad. Afternoon Delight is probably the one example. But there, there were some other novelty songs. Like there's this one song from the 70s. And Monk Turner, or actually either of these, they could do a song like that. You know, it was a very beautiful song called Junk Food Junkie by, I forget his name. And that was my favorite song as a teenager. Maybe I was 10, 15, 12 years old. And it was just about a guy who eats junk food. Uh, he eats health food, but at night he eats junk food. And it's a... <laughs> A great song, and we loved it, and nobody will go out of their way to hear it. You know, YMCA, there's all these kind of songs that they were popular for a reason, and mm-hmm. maybe it wasn't a good reason, but that reason will appear in future decades, I guess. The standard I use for that, if, if there's a nostalgia effect and a revisitation value, then I would expect people would rate the albums on all music, for example. If, if something goes out of the spotlight and needs to be re-highlighted, thousands and thousands of people going to their old favorites, and some pop music has that and others are just totally barren and have never been reappreciated. So maybe there's a time for a place for every old pop star, you think? Yeah, and then there's sometimes the albums are just ahead of their times, that they're just trying to push things and people are not ready for them. And then decades later, they are ready. 
Uh, the example that I think is Xanadu, which was Olivia Newton-John's album. It was made to a movie which I still have never seen, but it's supposed to be pretty clever, and the songs are really good. And, you know, I can say, yeah, I, I like the songs, even though I wouldn't have cared for it when it was hitting the charts. It's going to vary from person to person, but everyone's going to say that some pop deserves to be lost to time and never found again. You're a staunch defender of the Spice Girls, I, I remember. <laughs> yes, I am. Yeah, I am. <laughs> but they, they fall into the category of, is anybody still listening to them? I don't know. And will they be, or is it, they were never substantial. They were uh, not a flash in the pan, but there was just nothing there. It was cotton candy, as you, I think you called it sometimes. The next question is, you kind of have this idea that somebody has to be beautiful and very striking to sell a, a pop song. Based on the cover, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or they have a strange look. They look distinctive. And Leslie Allen has a very strange look. Her videos, you can't help watching them. It's not about being a supermodel. It's about being interesting looking, in other words. Yeah. Striking. I regret having heard about her. I mean, I would have liked just to hear the songs and not watch the videos, to know her more of those, right? so I can not have anything coloring my judgment. <laughs> no, the, the question of whether anyone who doesn't look like a pop star, quote unquote, can anyone, and absolutely anyone, be fabulous if they so choose, and if they wear a gold pantsuit or, you know, flashy, reflective clothing or something? Is, is it mean the, the look and you can make the look the look can be produced <laughs> if, it, if it's not natural and I don't know if she still performs or she just, I don't I don't think she has a tour but she probably goes to festivals and such performs periodically because of COVID I don't, who knows but I'm sure people are happy to see her perform and she probably has a following probably even if she came to New York City or LA or something like that people would enjoy her and I consider her a novelty act in some ways but if you've seen her for the first time you'll be convinced who is that girl who is that woman? You know what? It's memorable. <laughs> A lot of people have yet to be introduced to her. So. Yeah. Okay. So that's that was my question about exactly how famous is she? And I don't know if I'm breaking my rules too much here for the for the podcast. Is a white woman from Iowa allowed to make urban music? Is she the most unlikely hip hop MC in the USA? How much do you have to debase yourself, put yourself out there to be a pop star? All these questions have good answers. Is this cultural appropriation? Can a white lady from Iowa? rap and make urban music. What do you think? Is that okay? It's kind of a do-it-yourself. I mean, I think that when she's doing it yourself, you recognize that she's putting her personality into it, into the image, uh, rather than it's it's not really carefully market tested. There's not fancy costumes or there's some special effects. And so... <laughs> Gold pants aren't fancy costumes. <laughs> no, I mean, like, there's a slickness that you see in some of these rap videos and okay. which annoy me to no end. But she's making herself as wild as possible. That's great. Don't get me wrong. But as a singer, that would get old for me as a singer, as a performer. I'm not talking about the audience, but it, maybe it's one of these deals where she's kind of being pushed to, to sing the same kind of song over and over again. But what, and, what musician, what especially pop musician doesn't have to do that, though? And at the same time, though, you've got your hook, you've got your angle that you go for fame. At what point does one's novelty spiel become a shtick? Yeah, like you say, you have to do that forever until she wants to jump off a bridge or something. She can't sing in the no pants policy song anymore. It will strains her soul. <laughs> 
you know, when you hear interviews with luminaries like Paul McCartney and whatever, you would think they would get sick of the songs and they probably do, but they're also very good for their fans. They have a connection with their fans and they recognize that, well, if you don't play this song in their concert, then, uh-huh. you know, they won't the feel like their money's worth. <laughs> there's not too many people who can be a Bruce Springsteen or a Sting or, or whatever, who has a repertoire that a lot of their fans know about. But yeah, the purpose is to make the audience happy, give people what they want, then exactly what happy dance music does, I guess. I could see this really working well you know, live in a kind of a small club that people are just kooky and just want to have fun, just want to be silly. There's a Texas band that was sort of that way. They were kind of brave combo. Uh, they, oh, yeah. they were no. Oh, you've heard of them? Great. Uh, they're good accordion. They're, stuff yeah yeah and they're folk but they do like the hokey pokey and they've come to houston a few times i've seen them perform they do the same old hits they do the hokey pokey crowd pleasers yeah (laughs) and yeah you got you gotta love them no they're great they're aptly named that's a brave brave thing to do in this in this 21st century if you're still i don't even know if they're still around i assume they're not around anymore late 20th century then whatever but, but in any case, it was definitely not in style music <laughs> that they played. The question then, and I want to thank my original co-host, Dean, for introducing me to Leslie Hall. I had never heard of her. and I was not part of her viral cult that is apparently pretty dedicated. If you look at her Bandcamp comments, their people are effusive in their praise. They say their kids like her and so on. And it just makes people happy. How can you not be happy when listening to this kind of music? So she's connecting. Dean also informed me that she has a side project with her, her girlfriend that I said was somewhat similar and but more acoustic to Monk Turner called Neon and Nude. And if you watch those videos and if you listen to those songs, the themes are the same. They're relatable. And so I wonder if you have to sell out, if you have to give up your identity to be a pop star and mold yourself, I wonder which songs are actually more authentic to who Leslie Hall is. She's being genuine on these dance pop songs, but at the same time, it's not in a style that you would assume, and I think that's the appeal. Seeing an average-looking white lady from Iowa getting down like Lady Gaga or Britney Spears, or she name-drops Beyonce and Britney both. And I also heard some more like Amy Winehouse in there in some of the songs. I don't know if you're ready to talk about individual songs. Name drops, I guess that's fine, but very pop culture-ish. It's one thing that Monk Turner really didn't do. Not really many pop culture references. And in fact, Mm. uh, there are opportunities in this album that he could have made references. And actually, I was thinking in the political album that he did, it was released during the Trump era. There were opportunities to be direct, but he kept the lyrics very general in nature. I appreciate that. All the other hand, you know, it works perfectly well with Leslie Allen makes a joke about uh, Reese's Pieces and all these other pop culture references. And in fact, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, those references will be even more precious to listeners. <laughs> probably so. Probably so. Yeah. It, name dropping really seems to be a thing for pop music. It shows how you're, how current you are, I guess. When these references are lost to time, will the songs still resonate with anybody except for old people? That's worth asking. I am Gold Pants to open the album. I, I, that's the one I heard Lady Gaga on. Okay. Band of a poker face. Uh, that's a really big hit in China is why I know it. And oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Chinese love Lady Gaga. That's what I heard on Gold Pants. Yeah, Others, that's, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. Yeah, I didn't I didn't even think about that. The, the certain songs resemble other actual pop songs more often than others. And, well, I thought Craft Talk 
was pretty damn incredible. <laughs> it was very clever. It was sort of triumphant and proud and upbeat in that in that way. So from a marketing point of view, she's reaching out to her. I think she's really embracing the craft community. Uh, for sure. Be, for sure. Oh, she's proud and all and everything. We're, There's no irony. This is pure pride. And Weirdo Yankovic, sometimes he's definitely making fun of him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That was a great song, and uh, I think I would just, let me stop you on Craft Talk. Well, my point on Craft Talk: I think that Craft Talk is the rural white lady version of Daft Punk's Technologic, uh, and also <laughs> combined great. with the Talk Nerdy to Me meme. <laughs> talk <laughs> so Nerdy if you to Me. Combine those two in one song. What you got is Craft Talk. What's the the Weird Al Yankovic song? White and nerdy, I guess. There you go. Yeah, there's a lot of social awkwardness, pride <laughs> going on. People work it. If that's your deal, if that's your stick, if you don't want to be a one-trick pony, but it works for a song. <laughs> I mean, I hate to say it, but sometimes she's abiding by stereotypes. Talk about cats. Talk about... What else do conventionally not attractive people do <laughs> with their free time? They, they're cat ladies and they, they knit, they crochet, and they make crafts and what else? <laughs> now, I mark number one, A Cat in America, as my favorite song on Bandcamp. Really? And even though I hated it, the first three times I listened to it, and uh-huh. probably if I listen to it again, a lot of these feel like Gainham style. They're very loud. They're very fast. And you know, I guess Gainham style was successful as a dance. You can't listen to Gainham style for too many times or even no, songs. I would not want to listen to an album by Psy that contains <laughs> style. Hopefully he has some ballads. Somewhere there. The main point is though, yeah, absolutely, what works and what is amusing, what's funny for a song, does it stay so appealing for an 18 song, 57 minute remix album? I just kept thinking to myself that the beat don't stop and she don't quit. <laughs> it's a little bit rote and grating. These are just sort of fans and critics who sit at home and don't play musical instruments that we can criticize and you know we don't really have a right to and I, I can imagine just making a great song a danceable song is an accomplishment in itself so I, I can definitely appreciate that all I'll say just as a listener listening to all these songs at one fell swoop can be hard it's unrelenting <laughs> maybe we're talking about individual songs and playlists and you can tolerate things occasionally but everything tasted like strawberry you end up hating it you can focus sometimes on the lyrics or the themes instead like I think on You're Not Taken I think it's a very, there's a lot of sincere pathos and she is really being oh, yeah, 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 that, emotionally that's right that's a good song there are other things to focus on but it's just that the beat is so driving that it will overwhelm you really have to concentrate and if you don't feel like dancing I don't know if you're not in the mood for these kind of things that it will go off the wrong way I mentioned varicose veins arts and crafts these things are not sexy pop song topics so I appreciate the unexpectedness the surprise and she's not a dilettante she seems deeply immersed and sincere in these subcultures wouldn't call her fake <laughs> necessarily just surprising and then unusual we haven't talked about body positivity I absolutely think that people do no matter what they look like need to heck just get some exercise and dance and feel good about themselves and feel confident that's important yeah, that's, that's good that's a very good point because lowering the barrier you don't have to be a young 20 year old in college who knows how to dance <laughs> if you watch leslie hall's videos you don't see just extremely good dancers i i, I don't know i don't remember but as opposed to people like i note here that bill maher says this is a public health crisis this is not something to be celebrated so there's fat shaming versus fat pride and body positivity i don't know which side of the the divide you're on. I can imagine being controversial. Is this something that we want to celebrate, being of average American build? I guess I take your point that anything about dancing is probably good for people's health in general. But it's just even Spice Girls did... 
<laughs> some slow songs once in a while, but look, a guy who gets a lot of undeserved hate, he's just trying to be nice and everything, and it has probably done a lot of good in the world. Is Richard Simmons sweating to the oldies? And I wonder if this oh is, uh, is yeah. this the 21st century update to that kind of thing? You're you're average. It's okay. Now dance it, shake it. You have every right to be just as active on the dance floor as the supermodels do. That's definitely an an angle that could be marketed. I think that's really helped her. Probably helped a lot of people, too. So I I have no hatred, a lot of admiration for her bravery to put herself out there. Can I just introduce as a side note, even though I don't do it anymore, uh, well, I should be doing it more, but for a while I was doing exercise DVDs, even though I usually put them on mute while I was doing them and listen to a podcast or something. But a few times I've listened to what the music comes and some of the music was pretty great. Sometimes it's specific to a time and a place. Like uh, Jane Fonda, was her music was terrible. It wasn't even that good. It was like, oh my God. And Workout was, it was terrible too. That was another disappointment. But there are exercise videos, specifically like dance aerobics. There was a lot of attention given to the dancing part of it. I liked doing them just because I sort of knew the song and I knew the style and all that. And, you know, I guess if we're talking about children's exercise, you know, the hokey pokey was really great. And if you could invent something that's a ho- another hokey pokey, the world will be the path to your door. <laughs> Maybe so. That's what we need. Yeah. These are very fast songs, too. Tempo's I mean, yeah. up. Yeah. I don't, I don't know exact BPMs, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's over 100. <laughs> Maybe that's not that good for dancing, but even though I enjoy her, I just found that her melodies were a, a little bit the same sometimes. It was hard to take several versions of the same song concept. Are you the kind of person who would never listen to a trance album or a trance mix, a DJ mix? I, yeah, I, I listen to a lot of trance actually. Really? So, because I feel like you're you're leveling criticisms that are what people who don't like electronic music say about all electronic music a little bit. Yeah, that's true. Too too repetitive, for example. And of course, we're talking about lyrics and singing, and a lot of trance and EDM tends to be, you know, only uh, very very minimal vocals. A good amount of trance is progressive in the sense that it has a start and a finish, and it kind of goes somewhere. But there's a build. But then 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 again, if you listen to a certain amount of it, you get sick of it so <laughs> yeah i guess there's a certain i'm at my limit with any genre but i liked it in the 90s is what i'll say about trance so <laughs> i'm done <laughs> well that said discuss paul van dyke before i like him i like him seven He's, ways that's a very wonderful album and something that even though he has a style that it's very low-key and i could listen to it in fact i'm going to listen to it again tomorrow just because i, <laughs> I love it it's my go-to album for working hard hard on a project under a deadline mm-hmm. or working on something creative i can do that yeah smooth it gets you going i like monk turner stuff but it wouldn't put me in, a, in the zone i wouldn't be in some sort of work state that i can mm-hmm. concentrate and the same thing with uh leslie hall which is you know beside the point but uh any sort of vocals do that but care to compare her to any particular pop stars or other other artists recommend if he likes thinking of eminem <laughs> Early Eminem was very visual and very raunchy. The Slim Shady, obviously, but he did really gross, vulgar songs, and you know, that was part of the appeal of it. I, I don't think she's vulgar necessarily, but no, uh, no. it was very much making lyrics that could be visualized very easily. But also, it's rap that's outrageous, and you wouldn't expect it coming from this guy. Now, I think that Eminem has grown, and that some of his music has shown complexity and protest, political protest, for example. 
It's folly to say that her album needs to do this or do that. It, it is what it is. Curious what else she's playing around with or you know how, how much she's doing with the music right now. Since you mentioned Vulgarities, uh, another female electronic pop artist, sometimes more on the electronic side, who goes a little bit more vulgar on songs such as Boobacue, Kevin Blechtum. I'm not sure if you're familiar. Whereas Leslie Hall really embraces her outsider status, I wouldn't call her cool. Artists like Kevin Blechtum and I think Chicks on Speed is another one that's a bunch of women who really make edgy electronic music with lyrics. I, I would uh, not necessarily recommend Leslie Hall for those fans, but cool version. So they, they, they work in similar electronic pop styles. And I think in comparison, who does it better? I'm going to go with the cool ones if you're ready to rate the album. I'm going to give it an eight. And wow. just because there's a lot of repetition. Uh-huh. And, and not in terms of the, the subject. All the subjects are interesting. Just that after a while, I said... Uh, I've read my met my tolerance level, but as I said, she's a ten, and then she's a one, and then she's a ten, and then she's an eight, and you know. <laughs> You're right about being from song to song, and I, I really think that my friend Dean's recommendation of the song for high kicks body rolls is one of the strangest things I've ever seen, and it's totally amusing. Do I want to hear it for a whole hour? and variations um, lyrical variations mainly because the, the music is pretty similar as you say I, I, I'll probably pass not an album that I would put on high heavy rotation I could see it on the dance floor she has a the companion band with her her girlfriend Neon and Nude of course you don't need glasses and of course you wear glasses it's kind of a cute pairing you want to talk about sister songs that yeah. was a great song I thought that was a very interesting song one of yeah, her yeah, more yeah. interesting songs her lyrics are just crazy and that she's able to rhyme them because they're kind of run on sentences and yeah. kind of weird, weird details. Bravo on that one. Does she flow on the mic and do the lyrics have to rhyme is a question I had for her. And also for if you're singing about unusual subjects, that gives more opportunities to rhyme. But if you just want to make a statement, is it necessary? I'm not sure. Not sure they have to. But I, I appreciate that she does try and that to call some of her rhymes tight. I'm not saying that she's a not exactly the greatest MC, especially not for rap. I, I think there's a lot of people who do it better and maybe even more white ladies from the Midwest who even do it better. But she knows her audience. She knows she has a goal and she accomplishes it. Being very pop savvy, as you mentioned, covering unexpected themes. There's definitely a market out there for singing about being fat, self-deprecation, which will get you fans like nothing else. And, you know, I think it'll be afraid to be rediscovered over and over again. 10, 20 years, somebody will see it again on YouTube or whatever the YouTube is and say, isn't this wild stuff? Self-confidence and self-esteem are valuable things in anybody again. So all, all good things to say. And at the same time, just similar to you, I get it. I heard enough and I'm going to give it a 3.5 out of 10. Okay. <laughs> uh, if you're going below 10, that's uh, that's a sign that I, I, I'm with you. That <laughs> there are certain flaws to this album, <laughs> as, a, yeah. as Mystery Science Theater once put it. <laughs> yeah, but for what they are, they work great. Oh, absolutely. I, I, but, you know, then again, you have to think of re-listening to something. How much do you want to re-listen to certain albums? There like, are subtleties me, to songs, to, to the lyrics, too. I mean, go ahead. Name an album or two that you listen to a tremendous amount of times. That Paul Van Dyke album, I, that one I've listened to more times than I would expect to. And that one's Fully good. Fully instrumental, because, yeah. Yeah, it's mainly instrumental, so it doesn't really bother you. You don't really pay attention to the lyrics. But even though I don't love it, and it's kind of 
partly because of my age, but Fleetwood Mac's Rumors, that one just sort of has uh, guitars, a lot of nice solos. It, I sort of know what's coming next. I can replay that on and on. Maybe I get bored of it, but it has a replayability. Yeah, well, I think the lyrics would have to be, obviously, anytime you want to dance, you can put it on and tune out the lyrics. Or you, there are subtleties in the lyrics, like my friend Dean pointed out that she refers to a certain part of the female anatomy as tofu, which is something that... Oh, I didn't catch that. <laughs> marinated tofu, yes. And that's something that is also done in China. So I'm not sure if that's her own original thing or if she's also clued into Chinese culture. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> sexuality in China is uh, maybe an unexpected theme, I would, I would say, too. Maybe it's just a, a term within the LGBTQ community that I, I'm not as uh, attuned to. Anyway, there, there's subtleties here. I can appreciate the second time, but do you want to listen to this kind of music or not is really the decider for re-listenability, as you say. Feel like we've covered it? Any more? No, I'm done. Okay, you must be extremely tired. It's three in the morning where you are right now, right? I'm kind of hitting my limit. I kept hitting my limit about half an hour ago. Great. Well, thanks for hanging in there, and we'll look forward to many happy returns, if not to these albums always, then to, to something else in the future. 